Hi, I'm Pastor Rob Ketterling, and on behalf of River Valley Church, and actually for the whole church, uh, I want to apologize for any time we might have let you down. Um, I know that we're talking about this, and I just want to be very transparent that I believe that this church has let people down, and the Church of Jesus Christ has let people down because it's made up of people that are flawed, and that's no excuse, but it still is something that happens. Um, we let you down, and uh, I, get, I get emails, uh, letters. Uh, some of them are really painful to read. I, I've got some here, and you know, it says how our, our, our staff has let people down, or I did, or members of the church, and um, I, I just want to tell you that I'm sorry for that. It shouldn't be that way. Um, you can actually go to like Google reviews and, and see things, and, and, and as I just want to share some of those with you, one said, Pastor Ketterling preaches great sermons, but doesn't get involved with his congregation. So if you need a pastor to be personal or engage in conversation, this might not be the place for you. Um, there's another one that said, this church is always concerned about getting people into the church, but once you start going there, you're basically ignored. Uh, believe me, there are other churches out there that will really care for you, uh, not as a statistic of growth, but as a child of Christ. And you know, when I see these things, they break my heart. Um, I love the church. I love God's church. I love this church way too much uh, to not try to make it better. And when I see things like this, it hurts because, I mean, there is a little bit of truth in everything. Um, sometimes hurt people hurt people, but sometimes something like this really is, is true. And, and I can't ever forget the time that I forgot to talk to someone whose dad was dying. And uh, I walked by her, I said hi, and I, I just forgot. And she said later, like, I don't even want to go to the church anymore. You walked by me. And it, it bothered me for months and still to this day does. And uh, we want to do better. And I'm telling you, we're committed to doing better. We, we want to be the church that God wants us to be, and we're not perfect. But I, I want you to accept my sincere apology for this. It, it shouldn't be like this. It should be way better. And so I, I hope you'll accept that apology, and I hope you'll realize that I love his church. Uh, we love his church. We all do in this together. And uh, I hope that if you've ever been hurt by the church, you'd never give up. You'd never give up. The, the church has flawed people in it, but the one who created it, he's not flawed. He's awesome. I sincerely mean that. I'm sorry for any time the church has dropped the ball or offended people, whether it was here or anywhere. The church is too beautiful the way God created it, and it's supposed to be just so beautiful. And our flaws sometimes make it look really bad. And uh, I am sorry. And if you're offended, and if you've ever been offended by the church, um, Maybe it wasn't even here, but if you were offended, somebody said your family wasn't good enough to come to church, or somebody looked down on you, or they, whatever the case may be, I am so sorry. And uh, like I said there, I just pray you'll give church another try. You'll see how beautiful this is, that when God takes flawed people and he puts them together, somehow he makes it beautiful. And so on behalf of the church, as much as I can represent it, I just want to apologize, and I just want to pray for anyone that's ever been offended. And so, God, I just pray right now that 
you would help us to always um, admit our shortcomings, admit our, our faults, and uh, do better. You're beautiful. You're amazing. You're awesome. But we as a church, as a local church, as even the body of Christ worldwide, we've let people down. And um, we've hurt people, and we're sorry for that. And so I pray that people would find forgiveness in their heart. They'd give it another try. They'd give it another opportunity. And they'd say, how beautiful, how beautiful your church is. And I pray for uh, just healing to fall on people, healing to fall on them. If they are offended, I pray their offense would fall. If they are wounded, I pray their wounds would heal. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help them, help them, help them to be able to open up their heart to receive all the beautiful things that you want them to find and receive from the beauty of the local church. Help them to receive all these things. We'd hate for them to be alone in their following of you. So help them to receive healing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Recently, Becca and I have just been going through um, some struggles. Uh, she is physically not doing well, but I'm so glad she made her way to church tonight. She's watching. And um, we just saw the beauty of the church in these struggles, in these things that are going on. Um, we have just seen incredible beauty. I mean, we had to tell people, like, stop bringing food. <laughs> we have so much food. Um, our home looks like Flowerama. I mean, we have so many flowers, and I thank you, all of you, for doing that. Um, it's just been beautiful, and the prayers, and today, uh, a staff member stopped by and laid hands on Becca and just prayed healing over her, and I was like, this is so beautiful. This is so flawed, but so beautiful, and I hope that you can get a hold of this, the beauty that is in the local church, and you wouldn't live with an offense. You wouldn't live just saying, because it's not perfect, I'm out, because there's beautiful parts of this, and if we can get past the flaws, and if we can realize we're family, and we have to love each other warts and all, um, how many know that this can be a beautiful thing? This can be a beautiful thing, and I just hope that you'll grab a hold of this, because the church is flawed because you're in it. <laughs> the church is flawed because I'm in it. The church is flawed because God takes a group of messed up, selfish, culturally biased people that are battling pride and battling a whole list of sins, and he puts us together and he says, get along. Man, that is a tough thing to do. And God wants us to get together and even said in, in John 13, verses 34 through 35, he said, a new command I give you. Matter of fact, if somebody on my staff could bring me a Kleenex here, I got a little flaw here and I need to take care of it before it flies. Thank you. All right. Uh, thank you. I so appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I feel better. John 13, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so you so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And some of you say, well, that's easy for Jesus to say. I mean, but think about it. He had just lived with his disciples for three years with these guys. He's like, guys, you saw me. You saw the way I loved you. I, I loved you, all your flaws, all of you. And I want the church to be like that. Man, the church was meant to be beautiful. And unity is beautiful. We are supposed to be a, a beauty pageant of unity to the world. And when we're not, it's really ugly. 
Psalm 133, one says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's just an amazing thing. It's, it's so key that if we can realize that we're flawed, that I have issues, that you have issues, that we're in this together and that we're flawed, but we can be unified and in that unity, it will look beautiful. I think one of the keys to our growth, a lot of people ask me, Pastor Rob, why have you guys grown so much? And I think over and over again, one of the key things is the unity. I mean, it has been the unity, and having been a part of a church that had so many church splits when I was a youth pastor, I just determined that we would try to protect unity as much as possible, that unity would be a strength and a key for our church moving forward, saying, I know we have issues. Can we come together? Can we resolve this? Let's try to fix this. If you don't have unity in a church, if you don't have unity in a business, if you don't have unity in a team, I think you're only functioning at 80%. And something that's only functioning at 80% best will be beat by something that is functioning at 100%. And when the enemy can get us to function at only 80% of our capacity and we're missing that ingredient of unity, all of a sudden the church limps along instead of looking beautiful. Proverbs 6 says, there are seven things that are an abomination to God. Seven things that he detests that are an abomination. And the seventh one, and he always saves the biggest one for last, was this, sowing discord among brethren. God says, I can't stand it. I cannot stand it. Unity is the key ingredient. It's a secret ingredient here where you're unified and you have the love and then you're unified and you move forward even though you're flawed. Man, it's just an amazing thing. And he says, I can't stand it when people, I detest it when they sow discord among the brethren. And so sometimes you have to have addition by subtraction. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 8, this is an interesting thing. God says this. He said, then the leaders will say to the people, is there a man here who is afraid and weak in heart? Let him go and return to his house so he will not make his brother's hearts afraid like his. He's saying, man, if you're not with us, if you're afraid, don't bring the morale down. If you're not with us, we got to move forward. It'd be better for you to go home and miss the battle. We'd rather fight together as a unified, less, you know, smaller group than have disunity and people that are afraid and people that are causing disruption because it'll work its way through the whole camp. Unity is so important. It's a beautiful thing. And, and we're, we're a flawed church. And here's what I've learned in life. You, you can have two choices with flawed churches. You can either have a flawed church that moves really slow or a flawed church that moves really fast. And I have chosen to have a flawed church that moves really fast, okay? And I'd rather go fast to the next challenge and the next thing because I think big vision makes problems look smaller. And so when we have a big vision and we're like, let's launch Burnsville, let's launch Edina, let's launch this, let's change the world. And, and, and some people are like, Pastor Rob, we're going so fast. And, and it brings on problems. And I, I was like, I like fast problems better than slow problems. I like those because the slow problems seem to fester longer. And I like quicker surgery. So if we're going to have problems, we might as well go fast and move forward quickly. Now, all churches have problems because all of us have problems. All marriages have problems. All, all of us do because we're flawed people. We talked about that last week. And the real issue is, will we solve our problems? Will we solve our problems? If you find a church that doesn't have any problems, don't join it, okay? Because you will mess it up, all right? But you're going to find a church, all right? You're going to find a church that has problems, and you have a choice. Will I either say, the church is flawed, and I'm going to critique it, or will you say, the church is flawed, and I'm going to try to solve it? 
God must have brought me here with my issues and my stuff to add to the mix to make it taste better. God must have brought me here so I can have things fixed on me. I can help fix other people. We can work together. And maybe in all of our flaws working together in unity, it's going to look even more beautiful. People will wonder why that person is next to that person and why that person that believes that could even worship next to that person. And how could they be together? And in all this, all of a sudden, it looks even more beautiful. But you have to solve the problems. And you'll look through the, through the Bible, you'll see all sorts of problems, even before the church was created, just getting God's people together. In Exodus, you see that Moses was leading people, and they're grumbling, and they're complaining, and they're, we wish we'd have died, and all this stuff, and he has rebellion going on, and all this is happening, and he's wearing himself out. And as he's wearing himself out, his father-in-law comes to him in Exodus 18 and says, this isn't good, you've got a problem leading these people, you need to fix it. And he's like, I don't know what to do. He's like, we'll break it into groups of 1,000 and 150 and 10 and put leaders over them and let them solve problems. He's like, good idea, good idea, let's solve problems. And all throughout the Bible, you'll see whenever there was a problem, people just didn't say, oh, well, problems, I quit. They're like, hey, there's problems, let's fix it. So let's look at the New Testament and see what's there because in Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 12, it says, it is he who gave some to be apostles. Talking about God, he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So God has established that there are leaders that he calls into ministry, and I don't have the time to go into all this, but I was called into ministry. I saw the need, but you know what I really wanted to be? I wanted to be a doctor, a physician. That was my desire. And God's like, you're going to be a pastor. And I was like, how about a pastor, doctor, preacher guy? You know, I was trying to deal with him. And he's like, no, you're going to be a pastor. I even enrolled in the pre-med program. And God's like, I said pastor, not physician. I'm like, I got it. I got it. I wrestled with the call. Okay. I was called to do this. And, and I couldn't get away from it. If I did anything else, I'd, I'd, I'd just have this holy agitation in here because there's a call. And so God has placed people in these positions because he calls them. They don't just chase after it. But even with the leaders, we see that there's flawed people that have problems and Jesus establishes his church. And in Acts chapter six, we see the early church. Jesus leaves the earth and he says, okay, take care, go, go reach people, build the church, go. And as they start doing this, they immediately run into a problem. And in Acts chapter six, it says this, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, here they go, they're running fast, they're running fast, they have fast problems. The Grecian Jews amongst them complained that the Hebraic Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, and then we got a whole list of names that nobody knows. And then they said, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And then listen to this. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, so here's what's going on. The church is there. They have a problem. They have Jews that speak Hebrew that are locals. They have Jews that are transfer growth. 
that have come in from other places, other cultures, and they speak Greek. And so we've got these two groups, the Hebrew group and the Greek group, and the Greek group is complaining, we are being overlooked, and we think you're prejudiced. We think you're overlooking us because we're Greek. And the apostles are like, okay, um, we're trying to solve this problem here. Let's try to figure this out here. We're not trying to neglect anybody, okay? But they've got a problem. And I want to point this out. The leaders were so busy building the kingdom, they didn't even know all the problems. And that's kind of one of the things that happens at our church. You know, people bring up a problem to me. I'm like, I didn't even know that was a problem. I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know how to turn the sound system on around here. I can't change the air conditioning. I don't know the combination of the safe. I don't have a clue. I don't know any, you know, I'm kind of like, preach the word, all right? So I'm focused, all right? And they were kind of doing the same thing. Like, we're, we're, we're so busy, we're building it, and we're doing all this stuff. And, and if we could put it in modern day terms, their email box was overflowing with complaints. And they were getting all these complaints. All of our widows are being overlooked. They're being overlooked. And so they're like, hey, we're so busy. Well, let's take care of this. And you'll notice there was dissension, but the leaders came to a decision. And whenever there's a problem around our church, if there's dissension, the leaders come together for a decision. We have an elder board and we have a deacon board. We have pastors and ministry directors. And when a problem is brought to our attention, we try to come up with a decision and a way to move forward and solve the problem. So there's dissension, the leaders listen, they come up with a decision, and then the people say, hey, it sounds good. And the people say, we're going to run the play. We're going to do what we need to do to fix the problem. And if I could just stop for a moment, what if the next email that I'm going to receive as a pastor complaining about this church is because you're not doing your job? And they say, I brought my kid to the nursery and nobody was there to watch him. And what if that email could have been solved because you would have obeyed the call that God put on your life to watch kids? Or somebody said, there was no life group for my desire. I looked through it, there were 300 choices and I didn't find the one that I wanted. And it's your fault because you were supposed to teach him Greek. I'm just saying, all right? Here's the interesting, dissension, the leaders come to a decision, there's approval from the people, they run the play, they start doing the ministry, and then you know what happens? Church growth happens. As soon as the problem is solved and you get back to unity, growth happens. I really believe this. I believe when people come into a church and they don't feel unity, something within them is like, mm, don't want to join there. Don't like it. I don't think those people like each other. I don't think they want to go, and it's just something in you. But when you feel unity, you can't even put your hand out. You're like, I'm just attracted there. I'm attracted. And all of a sudden, I'm helping you. You're helping me. We're all in this together. We're, we're having lots of grace for each other. And all of a sudden, that just looks so attractive to the world. And church growth happens because it says, so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And they're back to rapid church growth. So we'll look at a few more problems in the Bible because there's plenty of them with the church. It's very flawed. It's beautiful the way God created it. It's amazing, but there's problems. And, and recently, I had a pastor friend um, that I mentor. And he said, Pastor Robbie, he said, can I talk to you? He goes, can I just ask you really honest, just be really transparent with me? He goes, Do you, are you really as happy as you see me to be? You know? He's like, I, I talk with you. I've been around you for a couple years. And he goes, you genuinely love the church. And he goes, and I've watched all the things that have happened to you. I've watched you be betrayed. I've watched you go broke. I've watched you do this. I've watched this happen. I've watched that happen. I've seen the troubles. I mean, he goes, just being honest, if I were you, I would just be pretty much bitter, you know? And he goes, so you're either amazing at faking it or what's your secret? Because I want to know. And I just said, you know what? Here's the way I look at it. When I have troubles in the church, I can either decide to get bitter and hold on to it, 
or I can realize that we're flawed and I can give grace and forgiveness. I can try to solve the problem and give grace and forgiveness or I can hold on to bitterness. And I've seen the end result of people that hold on to bitterness and it's not good and it's not biblical. And so I would rather go with several good years and then have a bad year where there's something bad and it wrecks you, it rips your guts out, you don't like it, you deal with the problem, maybe something happens and you work through the crisis and then you forgive and you move on and you have four more good years. And then maybe you have another crisis and I kept track of this. I went seven years without a major crisis here and then we had one. Then we went um, five more years and had another major crisis. And then we went four more years, and now I'm kind of dealing with another one. And I just thought, that's on average 5.5 good years for every one time of crisis. I'm good with those numbers, okay? Yeah. I'm good with those numbers. I would rather live in forgiveness and grace and mercy than become bitter and angry and, and phony and everything. Because here's one thing I've learned about the church. As long as you have integrity and honesty and give grace and you're, you're moving it forward, God just takes grace and fills in the cracks. But the moment you're hypocritical and the moment you're bitter and the moment it's just a gig, there's no grace in the cracks and it starts falling apart. So that, that's just a way that I've processed through this. So the church at Corinth, another problem, church at Corinth, and I won't go into all the details, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, my Christian brothers, I've heard from some of Chloe's family that you're arguing among yourselves. All right, so he's like, you guys are trouble. You guys are arguing. Stop it. Stop it. In chapter 6, he says, you guys, I've heard that you're suing each other and you're going to court, which was against their rules because their rules were if you had a problem with somebody, you had to go to their group and keep it in the family because they didn't want it looking embarrassing and stupid out in the public. And so they're like, if we've got a problem, let's take it to each other. Let's take it to the elders in the church rather than looking stupid on the front page of the paper, okay? And so he's like, it shouldn't be like that. You shouldn't be suing each other. He talks about sexual immorality. He's like, you guys, Church of Corinth, you guys are really flawed. God's church is amazing, but you guys are really messed up. I'm trying to correct you here, okay? And it's interesting. They're dealing with the cultural sins that were in their culture even before they found Christ. It's like they find Christ and they're dealing with all these problems. And, and Paul's like, I got to correct these things. You don't need to live like you used to live. You need to live a new way. The church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, the Apostle Paul says, I urge these two ladies, their name's right there, to iron out their differences and make up. God doesn't want his children holding grudges. And oh, yes, this guy, okay, you're right there. <laughs> You don't name your kid that. Uh, and oh yes, since you're right there to help them work things out, do your best with them. Then he says, these women work for the message hand in hand with Clement and me and with the other veterans. They worked as hard as any of us. And remember, their names are also in the book of life. The apostle Paul said, guys, stop the grudges. Stop it. It's an amazing thing. He put it in the book so everyone could see. Stop the grudges, work together. And he said, and oh, by the way, work with them, work with them, because, you know, a lot of us say, well, it's not my problem. I'm not going to help. I don't have any obligations. It's not my problem. They need to figure it out. I'm going to get involved. That's their deal. Uh-uh. Paul's saying, no, it's your deal too. You're part of the church. Fix it. Get it working. And then I love the way that he says, hey, hey, let's not confuse allies with enemies. Let's not confuse. They're in the book. Guys, they're in the book. They're on our team. They have been working just as hard as everybody else. They are trying to win the loss. They're on our team. 
And how many times do we rip down people, tear them down, tear them down, tear them down? They're on our team. And Paul's just begging them. And the term that he's using there is like, they are in the military. We are fighting a spiritual battle. They have been in combat with us. Guys, Semper Fi, come on. We're in this. Come on. Okay? So he says, if we're flawed, there's some examples here in the Bible for us. There's some things that we can do. And in Matthew 18... It tells us what we should do, that we should go to our brothers, that we should go to them. And Matthew 18 is the rule and standard that if somebody's offended you, if you've got an issue, you go to them. There's only one modification in 1 Timothy 5.19. If you have an issue with a leader, the Apostle Paul is saying, be very careful when you have an issue against an elder, because how many know that when you're following a leader, you don't always have all the details? How many know you're following a leader and somebody's going to say, hey, this is what the leader did? And you're like, what? I can't believe it. Let's go get in front of him. How many know you don't have all the details? So the Apostle Paul's like, you know, always go to the person. Now, if you've got something with a leader, be very careful. Make sure that you've verified this because, you know, in today's day and age, uh, a little kid the other day said to an adult, they said, if you don't do what I want, I'm going to tell my mom and dad that you do bad stuff to me. I mean, they got it figured out that one word can destroy someone in authority. And so Paul said, hey, if somebody in authority, let's make sure it's not just one word, okay? Let's make sure we do this right. But go back to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, if a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him, work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that in the presence of witnesses, it'll keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance, And offer again God's forgiving love. So go to them, bring more, bring more, start over. And you say, oh, I could never go to them. I could never go to them. I I, I just couldn't. I'll just talk to other people in the church and tell them, no, 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 that's the wrong way to do it. If you have issue, you're supposed to go to them. Now here's the deal. There's a cycle of conflict for all of us. And this is good whether you're in the church or in your workplace. Some of you are managers and leaders. You could teach this, okay? It's called the conflict cycle. Okay, and some of you are going to really need to pay attention because as soon as the political season is over, you're going to have to make friends with all your friends on Facebook that are the other party, you know what I'm saying? Okay, so you're going to have to pay attention, all right? The first thing is tensions develop. In any relationship, tensions develop because somebody feels a loss of their freedom, something they enjoy, okay? And so there's a dilemma, what they call the role dilemma. There's a role dilemma. It's like, well, who's in charge here? Who's, who's wrong? Who should yield? Who... Who's, who's really more at fault? What, what should I do here? And so you're confused because there's some tension and there's role dilemma, so you're trying to figure it out. And if you don't go to the person right then and there when you have the issue, you'll go to the third step, and this is where you get in trouble. You get to injustice collecting. Hey, do you think they treat me wrong? Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, that's what I thought. Do they ever treat you wrong? Yeah, they treat me wrong too. Yeah, let's go find other people that think they treat us wrong. And then you start building it up. You know what? I remember back when I was seven years old, they did that too. You're 42. It doesn't matter. When I was seven, they did it. And you start injustice collecting. And and when you start injustice collecting, all of a sudden you start gathering up information and you start blaming them. You know, it's all their fault. I'm right. I'm, I'm, everybody that I know thinks I'm right. And you just, you see what I'm saying? And some of you have been there. And um, this starts happening. And then all of a sudden, at this point, it's inevitable, confrontation's going to take place. Confrontation's going to take place, clearing the air. There's going to be contact or a fight. 
And in this stage, uh, it's just inevitable. If you've collected injustices, you're going to get to this point of confrontation. And then adjustments will be made. If it's done poorly, you'll withdraw, you'll avoid, you'll divorce, you'll go into the Cold War. That's what happens. Because if the adjustments are made, like we had a conflict and it was done poorly and we really didn't get to the bottom of this and we didn't give grace and we didn't resolve the issue, we go to all these battle stations, withdrawal, Cold War, divorce, hate, build it up, email, Facebook, boom, all right, and it happens. If it's done well, we renegotiate expectations and we honor the commitments freely. We say, you know what? We renegotiate and we freely honor this. You didn't have to twist my arm. I didn't have to leave here like, okay, great. You know, but you say, you know what? We're in this together. All right? So if the adjustments weren't good enough, the whole thing recycles and you go through this and you become dysfunctional. This is what happens. If you don't adjust and you don't do it well, you just become dysfunctional and all your relationships will be marred by this dysfunction. But if you do it well, all of a sudden that grace is there, the tension is diffused, unity results, and usually your company, your team, your church, everything will move forward because you resolved it in a God-honoring way. Okay? One last thing, and this will help us move forward. I'll give you this. It's from Pastor Perry Noble. Um, he used this with his church, and he said, when solving conflicts, realize this. Number one, email and text do not work. He said, you have to meet. De printing depersonalizes it. It drags it out too long, and it just adds fuel to the injustice collecting period. You need to handle it quickly. Things that fester don't get prettier. Assume the best about people, no matter what. Remember, email and texting don't work, number four. <laughs> number five, stop expecting people to read your mind. People interpret things differently. We were once, Becca and I had a dinner party, and we had an amazing time, and everybody there thought we had a bad time, and they're like, wow, we won't ever invite you back to the dinner. We're like, why? We had a great time. They're like, we just read you differently, you know? We just, you just read things differently. Don't, don't read people's minds. Just get it out there. Stop waiting them, for them to approach you. If you're the mature one, you go to them. You don't say, well, I'm just waiting for them. No, no, no. If you're the mature one, if you're in right standing, you go to them. Number seven, never go public when you have a chance to talk in private. And he starred this. He's like, don't air it on Facebook. Okay? And the last thing he said, remember, email and texting don't work. Number eight. All right. I want to pray for the church. And I want us to pray that we'll resolve issues, that we'll learn to live in a flawed church that is absolutely fly. It's absolutely amazing. It's absolutely incredible. It's a beautiful thing. You're in it, and we're glad you're part of it. Lord God, I thank you that we are in a flawed church. There's no way I'm going to stand here and say that we're perfect. We are not. Our leaders aren't perfect. Our elders aren't perfect. Our deacons aren't perfect. Our pastors are not perfect. We drop the ball. We've let people down. We struggle. But we're picking it back up again, and we're going to try to bring unity. We will resolve all conflicts. We will move forward in the beauty of what you laid out in your church. We will run the play. We will try to look as beautiful as we can to a world that so desperately, desperately, desperately needs a strong church. I pray we'd be quick to give grace, quick to give forgiveness. Help us not to hold grudges. Help us to be just so full of grace, Lord. Thank you again for that. Thank you again for that. I just praise your name and thank you that you called us to be 
part of this church, part of your church, but even in this local expression with church communities all around the Twin Cities and in Spain and soon to be Africa. We thank you for that. And I just thank you for fast problems. I thank you for fast problems. Help us to solve them quickly. Help us to move your church forward. And help us to look good so that you look good and people are drawn to that. Thank you again. Lots of grace on anybody that's been offended. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.